Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. So Myron's going to give me a little spiel here. and Myron... Um, Myron's been writing haiku for as long as I can remember, and the first book I did in 2004, um, he put a blurb on the back of the book, and particularly extolling how much he loved haiku, and he's always been very sweet to me about my haiku, and some of my other poetry as well. Um, he's a beautiful haiku writer, he knows what he's talking about. He's a beautiful guy, he's a beautiful poet. <laughs> Listen to his beautiful words. <laughs> his haiku and senderub are like little time bombs which he drops onto the audience and then waits for them to explode. Some are serious and deep, some are light-hearted and profound, while others are a combination of these. Matt has been an active member in the haiku world for a few decades now. His work has appeared in Australian haiku anthologies and journals. He has read his haiku at mainstream poetry readings. And with Leah Hills, he was instrumental in helping to get haiku on Melbourne's public transport system. Good morning, this is 3CR and you're listening to the Spoken Word program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm talking to Matt Hetherington of Brisbane, formerly of Melbourne, and he's just produced a new book of haiku and senryu, for instance. So I thought I might ask Matt to start the program reading a couple of haiku. A small man beats a large cow with a small stick. Hung over the red eye of the traffic light. So, Matt, um, they're very short and very simple. Uh, how did you get interested in writing haiku? Uh, I, I suppose I was, I was wanting to discover different forms of poetry. I was about 20 and I started reading, uh, there's a four volume set by R.H. Blythe uh, where he takes traditional Japanese haiku and um, you have the you have a Japanese uh, romanization so you know what it sounds like roughly. Uh, and he comments on them as well so uh, you know he was a pretty respected scholar of that stuff and I think it's probably a very good introduction and I found it very um, I found them very spiritual and very uh, in very intense in, in a beautiful particular kind of way I would find that I would read 10 or 11 and kind of go mm. and then I would read the 12th or whatever and it would hit me like a diamond between the eyes and and I and I wanted to I, they just resonated with me and I wanted to try and write them and I found that I could write them fairly well straight off. So I had Carla Sari, it was the same, Melbourne. She when, when she first started writing, she was writing amazing haiku straight away. So it, it, there's a certain, if you have a way of writing with brevity, um, you're going to, I think you're going to be more likely to be able to, to write them. They're hard for poets to write because... Poets want to write poetically, and haiku is not 
poetic expression. It's it's a poetic moment expressed very simply, very p- plainly. So, so what are the kinds of traps that uh, conventional poets might fall into when attempting to write a haiku? What are the things that they would like to do that they shouldn't be doing, which are not haiku things? Uh, using using lots of adjectives, rhyming. Uh, I mean. I don't really feel there's a lot of rules in haiku. I think there's sort of five rules, basically, and that's kind of it. Um, some people want to complicate it and make it a few more. Myron likes the rules. He knows all the little sub-clauses. Of <laughs> and we're talking about Myron Lysenko, who launched your book um, the other night. Yeah. I mean, he's got, a, he's got a much better knowledge of the technicalities of all the ins and outs of haiku, but um, I suppose I suppose people people try to write poetically instead of using as few words as possible and as simple words as possible and as plain language as possible. And they try and tell rather than show, which is the sort of traditional mistake in all creative writing, really. Okay. Let's hear a couple more haiku. Mm-hmm. Graveyard. A man doing up his pants. Noon, on the footpath, a goat's head. So those last two were written in Morocco. Okay. Great. So just um, what are the rules that you're trying to follow? Uh, What's the concept of haiku? It's it's more than it's just very short. There's something else going on, isn't there? Mm. Well, one moment. Uh, written in the present tense, uh, as simple language as possible. The moment should be either unusual or poetic or sad or funny or there's a slight twist to it. There's a slight unusualness to it, even though it's a fairly ordinary... Even though it's a fairly ordinary... um, it can be a very ordinary experience, um, and I think to not to not write write in sentences too much, um, and to to use as few words as possible, to the point where even sometimes people write haiku and they take out the the or the a word, you know, and so it's really really compressed. Um, yeah, I think that's. I think I'm, Pretty much said all those. And what about if I'm writing on a whiteboard, I can I, I can see which one which one I've forgotten. I, okay. I usually forget one. Oh. <laughs> what about five. syllable counts and seasonal references? They're also often mentioned as mm. part of haiku. Yeah, I mean, I think most people who are writing haiku in Japan don't worry too much about syllable count anymore. Uh, and a lot of people, even with seasonal references, so. Um, and it's it's a bit easier in Japanese to have seasonal references because there are certain flowers that are associated with certain seasons and so on. I I don't really think that's modern haiku that's that important in in my opinion. Um, so one of the things that I've often understood is you've got to have three lines and two images and a surprise. Uh, I think there needs to be some kind of surprise, even if it's a very mild soft kind of surprise um doesn't have to be three lines doesn't and 
I mean, 17 syllables in Japanese is equivalent to about 13 in English. So if we want to write good haiku, there's not that many good haiku who, which are 17 syllables in English. And it's kind of strange to write, if you write in 17 syllables in English, they seem, most of them seem too long to me. Um, but I do like them really short. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the, modern, the modern way, even in Japan, it's not really much about counting syllables. And people think you, you write it in three lines with 17 syllables and it's a haiku. No. no. Let's hear some more haiku. Oh, okay. I mean, some of these are senru, I would also say as well. The difference being haiku is based in nature and senru is based in human nature. So if there's no nature in it, it's human nature. So, well, let's hear some senryu then okay. to just understand the difference. Separated. Oh, I, I suppose I should say, I'll read a few from, there's a sequence in the middle of this book, uh, which is sort of about my marriage. So I've got up to the point where I'm uh, you know, separated before I get divorced. Um, separated. Teaching my daughter how you wash your hands. Looking at the timetable, the bus goes past. I read that too slow. It should be more like, looking at the timetable, the bus goes past. That's more like it. I mean, that you, could, you, know, you would say that's a senru because right. there's, no, there's, no, there's no nature in it. Right. It's just a human experience. We've all had, I think my common experience is waiting for the tram, giving up, walking off the tram comes sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not a haiku. but <laughs> Maybe you could write it as a haiku. Yes, it, it could be written as a haiku for some, sure. There's some moments you try to write about and you just can't quite get it in a haiku. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So... Um, in terms of uh, the book, you just mentioned it's divided into three sections. So tell me about the structure of the book. The, f- uh, the new book is for instance. Yeah, the first section is written in India, northeast part of India in 2004. The middle section is written between mm, 2005 and or 2004 and 2009, roughly, uh, in Melbourne. And the third section's spent a couple of months in Morocco in 2011 so it's written all in Morocco. Right. So you've it, it's actually the work of a couple of years pulled together. Mm. Yeah. And and what was the inspiration for putting a book together at this moment? Just ego really. <laughs> Somebody invited you to write a book? No, I just I had these sequences, you know, and I'd put the first part, the Indian part, I I did little 50 chapbooks. Mm-hmm. Back in 2005, I put them out. I sort of stapled them myself together and they just fell apart straight away. It was just terrible. Right. It was sort of quite wrong, really. Um, so, I, yeah, I just had these three different sequence, haiku, haiku sequences and I don't really write haiku sequences much. And I didn't really conceive of them that way. But I sort of, thought, I just thought it'd be nice to do that. And, um, yeah, I just asked Coral, do you want to have a look at this stuff and see if you want to publish it? And, and who's said, Coral? Yeah. Coral Carter, publisher from Mulla Mulla Press. Right.
This is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and I'm talking to Matt Hetherington this morning about his new book, For Instance. Um, we were just listening to Annie Choying Droma, who's a Nepalese um, Tibetan uh, musician, and uh, some music from her record, Inner Peace 2. So, Matt, you just mentioned before that you started writing haiku when you were 20. Um, uh, Tell me about your life as a poet. Uh, Did you also start writing poetry then, other kinds of poetry, or before then, or how did it all progress? Mm, I started writing song lyrics when I was eight Uh, and kind of, I suppose, regressed to poetry, really. When I was, I started writing poetry, I suppose, seriously, probably seriously when I was sort of 18, 19, uh, although I remember being kind of 14 and starting to write it. And did you yeah. share it with other people at that time? Yeah. Yeah. I, I shared a room with my brother. Uh, so we had, had to share most things. Uh uh yeah I, I didn't read in public much until I really until I came to Melbourne because there wasn't a lot of readings in Canberra. Right. And when you came to Melbourne what readings did you discover? Well the Dan was probably the first regular one. The first reading I went to was I remember it was at Shelton Lee's bookshop on St George's Road in North Fitzroy. Uh I think that was his bookshop anyway. Uh he was kind of running the reading. So that was a pretty good introduction to Melbourne readings and stuff. I think I, know I went to one or two at the, I think it's called the Perseverance on Johnson Street. And But the Dan was probably the first one. And a year or so after that, I think it would have been, yeah, probably a year or maybe two at the most, um, started going to a reading at the Builder's Arms Hotel in on Gertrude Street that Patrick McCauley was running. Right, right. Yeah. And so you were, you know, writing poetry that uh, conformed to any kind of traditional forms or was it just a very free expression? Well, the only form that I was probably writing in that was really a form would be haiku. Okay. Later on I started writing villanelles a bit, but I don't really write in forms that much. Mm -hmm. 
And did you ever sort of feel the there was a contrast between the identity of a page poet and a performance poet? Because sometimes there's a bit of a conversation about that. Yeah, well, it's an ongoing conversation. <laughs> I don't think it, you, you know, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some kind of divide, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can really say much interesting about it. I mean... You know, if to, if you're an artist, you just want to do your art, and I don't want to take sides. Sure. Any on anything really. I like sitting on the fence. So you've been you've been able to better have view. a have much a, better view. Yeah, exactly. See both sides, yeah. but you've been able to um, contribute in both the performance world and in the page world. Mm-hmm. And so this is, I think, it's your fourth book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. First book of all haiku. Okay. Uh, but yeah, fourth book, fourth book of poetry. And the other three books, when did they come out? First one was 2004. That had some haiku in the middle. Uh, one in 2007 and then one in 2012. Great. Okay, so would you like to read some other poems? Yeah. I wouldn't mind reading a few. I've just been reading, um, writing recently. I think the first couple I'll read it you could probably say a haiku and the others are just short poems um, Saturday night crushing garlic again heavy rain the handle falls off the coffee pot sign Killing greyhounds for gambling is not okay. Peak hour train. The mad indigenous woman gets a seat to herself. After she vomits, I cough. What's a metaphor? Quicksand. In the dark... His smile. So it's pretty yeah. short ones. Yeah, great. Maybe I could read. I, I wouldn't mind reading this one. Uh, I was thinking about this one the other. This is it's the last poem in my book. I do I, and it's got it's it's called Serene, which is spelled S E R E I N, yeah. and I looked it up. It, I, I came across the word and I liked the sound of the word and I looked it up in the Macquarie Dictionary, and the definition was a very fine rain falling from a clear sky after sunset, uh, which I'd never noticed happened before, but once I read that, it, do- it does happen. <laughs> mm. So I wrote a poem about it. Serene. Hush of dusk. Insects punctuate each other's sentences. The day lies down for a rest. So slow. Fragrant secrets offered from roses. A dog snouting the grass. Breezes arrive and leave like amnesia. Sip the heat. Solo these days. Like love, the unavoidable gift. Seeing so many things that sing 
without even a name. Beautiful. Thank you. And what took you up to Brisbane now you're living up in Brisbane? Melbourne weather. 18 winters in Melbourne. Right, yeah. That's pretty much it. Oh, there must be something else. Oh, I could say the Melbourne poetry scene, but that would just alienate me from everyone, wouldn't it? So I would better not say that. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much the weather. That was, yeah, it was pretty much the main thing. I mean, Melbourne's a fantastic city, you know, in so many ways. Um, you know, it's nice to move occasionally, and yeah, I'd, I'd spent eighteen years here, and the last ten, I probably didn't want to be here. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly the last seven or eight. Certainly the last five. Certainly the last year. All right. You know, I I think Melbourne's great. I mean, there's a good reason why people want to be here who are in the arts, no no doubt about it. Um, But, you know, you go other places and you see different kinds of art scenes and, you know, people from Melbourne think they're the cultural centre of the Southern Hemisphere and it's not quite that... Exactly. Okay. So and they think there's nothing in Brisbane. There's plenty of good stuff in Brisbane yes. and Adelaide. And so, yeah, it's a bit like, you know, people in Paris used to say everything outside of Paris was just called, oh, it's just provincial. There's a little bit of that in Melbourne. So, you know. So tell me about the poetry scene in Brisbane. Well, it's a lot smaller and it's very friendly. And the people in, in Queensland are, are noticeably happier than the people down here, I think. Even the poets. Really? So even the poets are happy Oh. in Brisbane. Um, I mean, there's not generally, I don't think, the same kind of intellectual sophistication and cultural sophistication. and But there's more openness and more happiness. And, you know, like how, how I, I was thinking about this the other day, you go, to, you go to readings in Brisbane, and, yeah, there's probably... You know, there's two or two a week, or roughly something like that. Right. Uh, that that you can go to, and slams are quite big there as well. But afterwards, uh, you know, in Melbourne, pretty much when the reading's over, people kind of put their coats on and kind of rush off home, or one little clique goes down to the pub, and another little clique goes somewhere else, or something. You know, if that's even if the cliques are in the same place. Whereas after. And I think it seems like a really Queensland thing. Queensland, for me, has the beauty of novelty still. So after the reading, people will stand outside, sort of going, oh, yeah, so how you going? So, and they actually sort of stand around and talk. They don't even like go to the pub or anything. They just kind of stand around and go, oh, chew the fat, and how's your old mum? And, you know, it's really, it's almost like some kind of vaguely country kind of thing to me. Right. Uh, and I find that very strange. Mm. Um, but people are very... It's a very friendly, um, there's very little sort of backstabbing and kind of bitchiness and, um, I mean, there is a division between sort of more academic poets and performance poets, which that's that's everywhere. But it's a a very friendly um, and very, very kind of humble scene. Mm -hmm. Are there any uh, um, particular poets in Brisbane that you've found um you know you really admire their work like oh yeah for sure um 
I mean, Nathan Shepherdson is probably probably the best known there. I suppose Bronwyn Lee's pretty well known as well. Hey, <laughs> yeah, um, and a few others. But Nathan Shepherdson, um, David Stavanger's doing some fantastic poetry. And you had David Stavanger. Uh, no, I saw David Stavanger the other night at La Mama. Mm-hmm. He was in Melbourne. Mm. He's not really doing ghost boy so much anymore. He's just doing more page poetry. Um, there's a woman called Pascal Burton who's really good, really interesting. Um, there's a fantastic performance poet called Adam Hadley. Uh, there's a guy called Scott Snedden who's a very good sort of, you know, he you definitely call him a performance poet. I've seen um, him, yeah, jumping off tables and stuff. Yeah. You know, so there's... You know, there's a there's a small amount of really good people, and there's a sort of larger amount of people who are not bad, and there's, there's a lot of young people too. And a lot of young people come to readings, which is certain readings, which is really good to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great. Um, okay, well, would you like to pick a couple of haiku or another lo- longer poem to finish? Okay, all right. I'll read this one. People, people, people in Melbourne like this one, apparently. You are like the sky, because you extend up from the ground, because you seem to be blue sometimes, but are actually transparent. You are like the sky because you are larger than the sun. I can paint you with memories, and because you feel like the present. You are like the sky because every day needs you, and because... I've always wanted to touch you where you are beyond all reaching. You are like the sky because I like to stare at you longingly at length and because in winter dark clouds hang in you and stay there. You are like the sky because you contain falling stars. You will never understand me because you are my home. And because you are everywhere but here. Beautiful. That is the voice of Matt Hetherington. You've been listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Program and my name is Di Cousins. Oh, I'm just...
Yeah.